This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. And for a second time, Mark McDonald. Thank you for joining me in the trenches again. Glad to be back. <laughs> um, we were just talking, you're in LA and I'm in Cape Town. How's the weather your side? It's absolutely phenomenal. That's the only reason why I'm still here. Right now? Correct. Other than the weather, there's nothing left to live for in Los Angeles. <laughs> why do you say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, the veneer has been stripped. Uh, it's like going to Disneyland with a power outage and all the lights are on on the ride and you can actually see all the dirt and the muck and the filth and the uh, the painted displays, the <laughs> electronimation behind all the monsters. The thrill is gone. The dream has been busted. L.A., for all of its um, vitality and life and fun and sexiness, uh, is really just uh, a kind of uh, secular oasis for downtrodden misfits who have been migrating here magnetically from uh, deprived, neglected households across the rest of the country. And they grow their narcissism and their egocentricity and their um, immaturity uh, through the reflection of the uh, the prism of Hollywood. And now there's no Hollywood mm. left. There's no entertainment. There's no um, man behind the scenes. So everybody's just sort of wandering like zombies with face diapers on uh, alone in the wilderness. It's uh, it's really quite a, a devastated landscape. It's it's not in any way one that I would find attractive for a, for an emotionally healthy person. I think you just slapped L.A. like Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. <laughs> Big fat bitch slap right across LA's face. <laughs> I certainly did. And it deserves more than a slap. I mean, it deserves a stun gun, maybe a, a, a euthanized execution. It's, it's really um, on its way out. And all the good people are leaving if they can. The ones that uh, aren't leaving are either not good people or they just don't have the means to escape. Uh, I was born and raised here, so you can't say that this is the jaded view of a, a late, late coming arrival from another state. I mean, I was born in Santa Monica. I was mm. raised here. I spent all of my life here up until the time of uh, graduating from high school where I moved to Europe. I lived in Europe for a year, and then I also lived in Japan for a couple years, traveled around uh, Central uh, and South America. Came back because I wanted to be home. I wanted to be with my family. I wanted to build a career here, and I knew that even though LA is superficial and there's a lot of bad dynamics interpersonally, I thought that uh, there would be enough to uh, want me to, to grow roots back in my hometown. And in the last, uh, certainly in the last three years, I've discovered that there really isn't uh, much to live for here in LA. Uh, you can do well financially, uh, you get great weather, there's still lots of good uh, places to go buy food, and you can travel to beaches and mountains. But as far as uh, real, community life and, and humanitarian culture, meaning people who like other people and really care about them. I just don't see that here in the city. It's, it's really overwhelmingly populated by very disturbed and, and very uh, immature people. And I, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, like 80% of the population is really lost. Why do you think that is? Well, I think partly LA has always been this way. It's just that people in LA are very focused on presentation. They're focused on the way that they're perceived. And so they're able to cover up a lot of their emotional deficits through um, nice mannerisms, politesse, clothing, money, um, beauty, power. And, and people accept that as the form of currency for human exchange in the city they always had. I mean, this is an entertainment city. It's about modeling. It's about film. It's about music. That's really what it's about. It's about performance. Mm. It's not about um, community in any way. And L.A. has never been a community. It's been a, a giant uh, 20 to 30 mile wide county, you know, north, south, east, west, with I think we're now up to close to 10 million people. And they all drive. Uh, there's no center. There are centers for certain subgroups, like uh, West Hollywood is a gay mecca. So you, you're gay, you want to be fashionable, you live in West Hollywood. If you're not, uh, and you're not a fag hag, well, why are you there? Mm. Uh, if you want to be um, uh, an urban hipster, you go to downtown and you build up a, a loft apartment in the fashion district if you're uh, designing clothing or art, or you uh, go into industrial design and you, you, you build out uh, you know, a, a brick uh, concrete hulk and you call it your your new edifice for your course at the fine arts center 
and and that's where people congregate but it's a very kind of balkanized state there isn't mm. really i would put it this way there isn't a core set of shared values among the people in los angeles that have any depth or meaning there's a core goal which is to get rich and famous but that's not a value and i think the lack of shared values and the lack of an understanding of that in terms of its its language and how it expresses itself in conversation leads to a lot of loneliness, a lot of isolation, a lot of pursuits of quick pleasure, so hedonism, meaning drugs, gambling, yeah. sex. But as far as, as actual growth, um, other than you know this namaste attitude that you get from the yoga community and the, the new age, <laughs> people, which, is, which is really just more virtue signaling, um, there really isn't any, any pro-growth movement of, of depth in Los Angeles. And it's, it's unique in that way. I have lived and traveled in a lot of different places in this country, and I've never seen anything like this. I think L.A. is unique and, and in a lot of ways, not, not a positive uniqueness. I'm trying really hard to, to find a segue into our talking point, which is, <laughs> which is masculinity. Well, <laughs> and I'm not, and me, I'm not let winning. Let me tell you, let me offer you one. You know, I work <laughs> with young people and actors and musicians, beautiful, handsome, often wealthy people, of you know youth age childbearing age marriageable age as well as beyond you know I, I treat all ages and both the men and the women whether young middle-aged or old are all struggling with the same thing they're struggling to find a way to meet one another and to fall in love and to be romantic and to develop relationships whether that leads to marriage and children or not any kind of of meaningful uh, passionate loving relationship they are really struggling they can get laid all they want. I mean, you've got all kinds of apps, you've got hookup bars, but they always come back and they say, I feel empty. I, I don't feel like there's anything progressing. I feel even more alone than I did last weekend uh, when I went home with someone that I just met at a bar or on an app. And I think, I think that, that the core problem, it's exacerbated in LA because of all the issues I just, I just described, mm -hmm. but the core problem, if we want to cut out the LA-centric part of it, is is prevalent across the country and across I think most of the Western world. I, I'm sure it's the same in South Africa. I'm sure I know it's the same in Western Europe. I know it's the same in Malta, because I've spoken to women in Malta who watched the first interview that we had a few months ago and they started corresponding with me. And the comments are always the same. They are from women. I cannot find a man. Where have all the men gone? I, the woman, have more balls than they do. And from the men, it's I feel afraid and intimidated to approach women to express desire and interest, to go after them in an assertive masculine way. I don't mean going and raping women and hitting them in the head with a club and dragging them back by their hair into the cave. I mean an assertive masculine, meaning leadership oriented, dominant approach to expressing desire and need because they have been so self castrated and so castrated by feminism and its corruption in the last 20 to 30 years into switching the definition of sexuality and femininity and masculinity into this competitive battle where both sexes wind up losing. I think that's where the loneliness comes from. And I think that's why we as a society, as a Western society, are largely alone, single, not married, childless, and leading this sort of quiet lives of desperation, wondering how and why and where am I ever going to find someone of the opposite sex, and I'm speaking in terms of heterosexual relationships, obviously, someone of the opposite sex that I can get together with and actually mm. uh, build a life with. Okay, so what is masculinity? I think of masculinity in terms of its polarity with femininity, meaning that both masculinity and femininity are <laughs> largely opposed to one another. And I say opposed, I don't mean in conflict in terms of competition, I mean complementary. Think of like a number line where you have zero, which is androgyny. That's a nothing. And that's where a lot of people, especially young people, have been pulled to through education and through media. You know, boys wearing dresses, boys with uh, colored hair, girls, you know, uh, dressing up as boys with short hair, no makeup, not shaving. That's a negation on the one side of the masculine, a negation on the other side of the feminine to pull you towards a zero point which is this kind of intersex. And I don't mean intersex genitally. I mean intersex in terms of the way that you appear and how you feel about yourself. And how that expresses itself, not just in the outward appearance of the person, but in terms of attitude and behavior, is, is, is unbelievably powerful in terms of its cultural effects on society. So, for example, a man who cannot assert himself, who cannot contain hyper-emotionality, especially when it comes from women, because women are generally more emotionally 
um, I wouldn't say expressive, although that's true, but just more emotionally buoyant and a more emotionally driven than men are in general, in general. If a man can't actually be in the presence of that and maintain equanimity, express leadership, containment, then he can't actually be a masculine presence, which means that the feminine side cannot be expressed. The feminine meaning being more uh, like a wave floating through different states or moods, uh, being able to be intuitive and receptive to changing uh, energy in the room, emotional energy, uh, intrinsically wanting to be um, caretaking and receptive to helping the vulnerable, especially children, which is a feminine mothering instinct, which I think is innate to women, to not try to challenge or compete with the man, but rather to accept his dominance and ultimately surrender to him in the context of safety. And whether that's a surrender in terms of a social, political, economic, or perhaps sexual surrender, that is a feminine role. That is not a masculine role. I'm giving examples of how this plays out in real life. And when you negate all of that, when you say none of that is defined by masculine or feminine, those are just random positions that anybody can occupy. Now you've just thrown the cards up in the air, you've, you've cut up the number line, and you've taken away what I would call the, the bipolarity of the male and the woman, the man and the woman. You've taken away the plus and the minus, and you've pulled everyone towards a kind of zero point. And we all know what happens when we take away bipolarity and we pull things to the middle, we lose tension. And it's the tension of the difference between man and woman that drives interest, excitement, um, motivation to couple. When that's gone, then you just have this kind of lassity and this feeling of, of sort of wanting and not being able to fulfill what you need, but you don't even know how to define it because you don't even know how to express yourself as the sex that you are. Uh, but is, is, is masculinity intrinsically linked to testosterone? Oh, biologically, absolutely it is. The testosterone is what develops strength, so muscle mass, uh, bone mass. It increases aggression. Now, that can be good and bad. You know, obviously, men need to control their aggression and their sexuality. Those are the, mm. uh, the, the what would you call it, um, kind of the burdens of being a man. And the woman needs to contain her emotionality, control that. So both sexes have their work to do. It's not that one is better than the other. They have complementary uh, strengths, complementary vulnerabilities. So testosterone biologically does encourage masculinity. If you talk to, for example, um, lesbian women or women who uh, have decided to become a man, so to speak, and I'm not saying all lesbians want to be men, but I'm saying those who have taken these supplements to become more masculine, testosterone injections, they will report to you that they start to feel different not just in their bodies, but mm. in their energy, in their drive. They become more aggressive. They become more argumentative. They want to challenge. They want to compete. They want to stand up and fight more. These are, these are often gay women who never felt these things before, but just the introduction of that hormone switches them into a more masculine role biologically, which then expresses itself through behavior. So testosterone is a biological derivative of masculinity, but it is not the only one. I can't help but think that homosexuality uh, and this isn't a, a moral comment that i'm making it's just an observation but i can't help but think that homosexuality forces a sense of confusion in the roles of masculinity and femininity it does and this is almost a trite thing to say but it's very common for gay men to parse out to bipolarize their sexuality and the way they express themselves through their behavior and their attitudes into a masculine or a feminine role. You have the lipstick lesbian. Well, I'm sorry, that was another subject. You have the, the bear. I'm going into the lesbian already because that's actually an interesting corollary. I've got all kinds of people here in LA. By all means, go on. <laughs> I will in just a moment. You've got the, you've got like, you, you have the, the very feminized masculine, uh, uh, homosexual man, and then you have the bear. And these, these types of characters tend to uh, pair up in homosexual relationships. And I believe that they do that because they need the, the, the bipolarization in order to drive the relationship, the coupling, and also the sexuality. There is generally a more dominant and a more submissive man in the man-man the relationship. Two assertive, aggressive homosexuals tend not to get together. It tends to be opposite. 
which is the same thing with men and women who are heterosexual. This is why I don't think this is inherently a heterosexual issue. This is a biological issue. It's a coupling issue. And interestingly, there's something with lesbians that is called, uh, often lesbians will say that after a year or two of their um, hypersexual in, immediate initial phase in their relationships, they lead into a, a phase that they call lesbian bed death. And lesbian bed death is a state of relationship where they're friendly, but they're not sexual anymore. They're just basically roommates. And this is often the case with lesbians who both act either butch or femme. So they're both in the masculine or the feminine role, usually the more of feminine role together. And they don't bipolarize themselves. So even lesbian women who are attracted biologically to women, many of them still strive to either be a dominant or a submissive in the relationship. And I don't mean just in bed, but I mean in terms of interactions, in terms of roles financially, in terms of how they play out in their social arrangements when they go out to parties, who plans, who follows, who leads, who directs. This is, this is universal. Mm. And so I don't think that it's just a so-called social, cultural, you know, developed norm. I think it's inherent biologically. I think it's driven in our genetics. And I don't think you can override <clears throat> it by using drugs or by changing or adopting a different sexual orientation. Ooh, it sounded like you were alluding to transgenderism. Well, transgenderism has, in some ways, nothing to do with this. Transgenderism is actually a, I, I'm going I'm to put this out there because I believe this very strongly. It is actually a mental illness. Yes. I'm not saying, not saying that homosexuality is a mental illness. You can be a happy, productive, and, and very healthy homosexual, man or woman. That is not in any way... Um, uh, related to an illness. Transgenderism is a mental illness. It is gender dysphoria. It is inherently um, uh, discomforting because there is a conflict between how you are biologically and how you see yourself in terms of your, your not your sexual orientation, but your sexual identity. And this is very important. It's very important because we don't fix homosexuality because it's not a disease. We do fix transgenderism because it is an illness. And since it's a mental illness, not a biological illness, the treatment should not in any case ever be chemical castration or genital mutilation, certainly not in under age 18 and in children. It should be therapy. It should be understanding where the identity conflict sprung mm. from, especially if you're young, because children, adolescents in particular, always universally undergo an identity crisis. That's definitionally what adolescence is. It's moving from child dependency on parent to individuation and adulthood, being separate and apart from your parents with your own definition of yourself. Everyone has trouble finding that, male or female, straight or gay. That's, that's universal. And unfortunately, in this country and also in other Western countries, particularly the United States, but in other countries as well, children have now been told and coached and taught and groomed to think if you're struggling with your identity, if you don't know exactly who you are at age 14, we have an answer, you're transgender. All you have to do is identify with the opposite sex and now suddenly your problems will be solved. Instant community, instant homeroom, teachers support you, parents don't have to know, you change your name, you change your hair, everything changes and suddenly you're supposed to be better. And initially they do because they feel they're part of a community that understands them. And getting a community helps you to build a sense of identity, it's a tribe. But ultimately that doesn't solve the problem. Because the underlying problem is you haven't developed your own identity. You've just developed a group identity. That's why the spread of transgenderism is actually a cultural contagion. It's gone up about 1,000% in the last few years. And it occurs primarily now among girls rather than boys, which is opposite to history. And finally, it explodes in classrooms when one person announces that she's transgender. Usually within a year, 20 to 30% of the other girls in the classrooms become transgender. They discover they're transgender. Now, that is not a biological or genetic issue. That is a cultural contagion and is a transmitted emotional and mental illness that needs to be dealt with. But what is toxic masculinity then? And why is it deemed so, so bad? Well, toxic masculinity is just a synonym for masculinity. So it's a way to discredit and disallow the expression of any masculinity. Those who call toxic masculinity toxic masculinity, don't actually ever have a definition for healthy masculinity. Mm. It's whatever they don't like. So if a man asks a girl out on a date and she doesn't like him, it's toxic masculinity. If she does, then he's just a great guy. 
But a lot of women now, they ascribe toxic masculinity to any expression of traditional masculinity whatsoever. Assertiveness, aggression, control, leadership, strength, containment, nurturing. Anything that traditionally has been largely focused in the domain of the man has now been deemed to be toxic. And it's a way to create a battle between the sexes, which is what feminism has done essentially, is it's ascribed masculinity as an evil that needs to be excised, like a cancer, that men don't need women, just like fishes don't need bicycles. And in doing so, they've relegated women into a role of trying to stamp out the opposite sex in all of its forms. And in succeeding in doing that, in castrating the man, in, in ridding the world of toxic masculinity, i.e. masculinity in general, the women have now been left alone. They've been, they've been bereft, they've been abandoned. They have climbed to the top of the corporate ladders. The highly educated women in particular are doing very well in the United States. White, liberal, secular, educated women in urban areas are doing phenomenally well, economically, better than men. They're getting With into medical kids. schools. They're, they're, they're now the majority in medical mm. schools, law schools, and business schools in most parts of this country. And yet, they're miserable. They're angry. They're alone. They don't feel loved. They don't feel wanted. They don't feel desired. Well, of course they don't, because they've killed the men. I mean, figuratively. They've gotten rid of them. They've emasculated the men. So toxic masculinity is really just a, uh, a made-up term to denigrate the man and to denigrate expressions of maleness and masculinity. We already have terms for what they say toxic masculinity is. Violence, rape, murder. That's toxic, but it's mm. not masculinity. It's just violence. But they have now expanded the umbrella beyond just violence to include any expression of masculinity whatsoever that doesn't ascribe to uh, whatever their views are on where men's place is. Yeah, I, I mean, just before you and I uh, started chatting, um, I, I got out of the gym and, I, I, you know, I, I enjoy lifting weights. It's a place of, you know, silence and thinking because it's in my garage. And so there's nobody to bother me. Now, that is deemed toxic masculinity. Of course it is, because you're building up physical strength and you are reflecting alone uh, in a self-preoccupied fashion that doesn't include being deferential to the people around you. Uh, that, by definition, is toxic. Now, strength is not inherently masculine, and I mean strength in general. Obviously, physical strength is more of a masculine quality, but, but just overall strength is not masculine or feminine. And I, I'm very dismayed when I hear that uh, women will say, well, women can be strong too. And I'll say, well, of course they can. I don't, I don't actually think weakness is an attractive quality in a woman. And I see nothing but weakness in today's shriekers that are on the feminist left. They shriek, they howl, they're hysterics, they're harpies, but they're not strong. A strong woman doesn't need to attack a man. A strong woman knows what her strengths are, knows where her uh, vulnerabilities are, mm -hmm. and also knows how she compliments a man and can allow the man to help her succeed. A woman needs a man to be able to express her femininity. A strong man, a weak woman, can't express anything. And she can't actually lean on a man because she doesn't know how to stand up for herself. And so she winds up attracting men who are also uh, very insecure, but maybe very burly, and wind up taking advantage of her. And then, of course, you know, both sexes fail. Of course, contextually speaking, we are largely referring to Western culture here uh, when we talk about yes. masculinity and and of course, by extension, the alpha male and the beta male. What, what are those? Because we, we, we see those terms. Well, the alpha male is now the toxic man. And the beta male is now the um, pinnacle of what men should strive for. Uh, men should strive for uh, spending, as Katy Perry said years ago in her song, more time on their own body and themselves than she does. So looking pretty, looking well-dressed, the metrosexual man. Uh, the man who apologizes whenever he says or does something that emotionally offends a woman without actually thinking whether it's objectively true or correct. The man who asks for permission from a woman when he wants to kiss her. The man who downplays or denies his own needs on every level in deference to the woman. The man who doesn't have a mission in life that supersedes his role as a husband and a father. The man who says, honey, there's a war brewing, but I'm going to stay home and protect you and the child rather than going and fighting for the preservation of our country, because I know that's what you want. 
that's a beta male. And that type of man cannot sustain a civilization or a society. That civilization based on beta males will fall, will collapse, either internally or through external forces, and that's yeah. been true historically. And you also get variations of what these alpha males are. Um, so James Bond, for example, would be considered a specific kind of alpha male. He's well-dressed, he's savvy, um, he's very good with the women. But then you might get the camel man who's unshaven, rugged, and spends time in 4x4s and in nature. But but both of those are appealing to the feminine. You know why they're appealing? Because those men know who they are. They express their desires. They go after their desires. And they protect the weak. And they also sacrifice their own immediate needs to the greater good. And the woman knows that. The woman knows that if a threat comes, he's going to get out on his, on his horse or in his, his Alfa Romeo and his gun, and he's going to go out and defend the threat, even if it costs him his life. And that provides a sense of security to women. The woman in Canada who I spoke with a year ago when they were all under lockdown, who was a sergeant, who would leave her house and she'd see these big burly men with the gun racks and, and the tats and the camo wearing masks on their faces, said, mm. I don't feel safe with those men. They're going to throw me under the bus. She said, when I leave my home and I see that, my vagina gets dry. <laughs> Those were her exact words. <laughs> now think about James Bond. As I'm so glad you brought him up. The most recent movie. <laughs> you can't stop laughing. The most recent James Bond movie flipped. The new James Bond is not masculine. He's a house husband. The mm. new James Bond falls in love, <laughs> not sexually desirous, but in love with a mm. woman and her daughter sacrifices his mission to save them, not the world, to save them. And at mm. the very end of the movie, he sacrifices his own life. <clears throat> yeah. Not to uh, save the world. He sacrifices hashtag, hashtag spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't watched it, save your money. He sacrifices <laughs> his own life because he's in love with a woman. Mm. No man would do that in a James Bond style movie. His goal is not to save a woman. I mean, it is throughout the movie, he saves a woman here and there, but never, never to kill himself his greater goal is to save the world and he didn't do that a real james bond would have said you know what i love you i really am into you but i have to go on saving the world even though even though the next time i see you you're going to die because i'm going to transmit some awful nanobot to you and you're going to die of this awful infection but that's just the sacrifice we have to make yeah it's it's kind of weird because that damsel in distress is is frowned upon these days but it is it's a weirdly desirable um need for men they want to rescue a damsel who is in distress but these days she doesn't need to be rescued you know she's she's independent right. and she can do it on her own so that's why we don't need men anymore at least that's what the feminists say a woman that doesn't mm. need a man you know, rescue might be as strong of a word. Obviously, in fantasies and in movies, it's it's a it's a caricature or a, mm. you know it's an exaggeration. But to be, I would put it this way: to be taken care of, to be kept secure, to be con to be contained. And I don't mean locked in a cage. I mean contained, like held. Mm. Women need that, and men provide it. And a woman who expresses a lack of that need communicates to all the men around her that men are no longer necessary, that they're extraneous. What does that do to men? It takes away their role. What do men do when they don't have a role? They either pull into a state of vegetative depression, getting fat, eating chips, watching video games, uh, not being productive, or they go off in the other extreme and they become uh, wild dogs, lone wolves. They become criminals and rapists. They become sociopathic. Men without a purpose are very, very dangerous. They're either a weight on society or they're a destructive force. Men need to be channeled. Their energy, their passion, their drive needs to be channeled into two things. It needs to be channeled into productive work and taking care of women. If you take away those two things, men yeah. have no more purpose in life. They're done. Is that why men in the West are checking out? Yes, that is exactly why. They're being told that they no longer need to be productive because women can make just as much money as they do. And two... Women don't need you anyway. 
I mean, they might need you for a night here and there for sex, but they don't really need you in their lives. They don't need you to be around, to help them, to hold them, to be constant. Women don't need that anymore because they found their own ways of doing that on their own. And so men have said, well, you know what? Then I think I'll just check out. I'll just do Tinder <coughs> apps. I'll get uh, welfare. I'll rob and steal. I mean, you said you don't need me, so I guess I'll just go rogue. That's essentially what's happened in a nutshell, I think, in the last couple of decades in Western society. But now, Mark, the counter response is yes, but this has been the plight of women for centuries. They've been suppressed and oppressed by men, and it, it's now their turn. <laughs> I always find that to be a very funny argument. Um, well, first of all, we're a very different society now than we were even 50 years ago. Um, I don't know how many decades, 80, 90 years ago, women in the United States were able to achieve political equality through the vote. Um, marriages were largely strong. Uh, children were being raised. Crime was low. In the black community, for example, before the Great Society program, before all the welfare state took hold, black unemployment was actually lower than that of white unemployment. So was criminality. Blacks were very likely to go to church. They were very likely to be raised in um, two-parent households. Uh, drug abuse was quite low. And it was only, only after the state came to rescue the poor oppressed minorities in the United States that crime, single fatherdom, drugs, all exploded in the black community in the United States. And this is largely, this is not a racial thing. This is the same case in England. It's mostly poor white people in England. It's not poor blacks. And that's because everyone's on the dole there. So as soon as you take away that male-female unit, as soon as you attack the family, that's when things start to fall apart. So the oppression that, that, that you're sort of quoting, that a lot of people recite, it's not actually oppression of the family. It's not a patriarchy that's oppressing people. It's lack of political equality. It's lack of opportunity to move and travel freely, to be able to go to school and be educated. And these were all inequalities that were objectively real and true. Now, they weren't necessarily problematic for all women because not all women do want to travel freely. They don't all want to go to university education. A lot of women are happy not doing those things. You know, that's fine. But they should all have that access and that right. But that's not what we're fighting and arguing about now. We're not arguing about equality in terms of rights. We're not arguing about equality in terms of legal processes, in terms of being able to move and study and travel. We're talking about something completely different. We've gone beyond equality way beyond it. We've actually started to attack the definitions of what masculine and feminine are. And that is that has nothing to do with laws, nothing to do with equality. That has to do with roles. And if you, as soon as you start redefining roles and taking away roles, whether it's a child, whether it's a husband, a father, a man, a woman, a teacher, a student, once you get rid of distinctions, now you have the collapse of society. So what we had been doing, which was great, was rectifying inequality not of outcome, but inequality of opportunity, of status. Now we're going after something else. Now we're attacking distinctions, differences. Mm. Distinctions and differences are a very different world. That's the fabric of, of humanity. Inequality and rights and power, that, that is man-made. That can be fixed. You can't take away distinctions without going into the, the God's code and starting to mess with things. And that's what we've done now. And that's why our societies are falling apart. You know, I... Um... I asked my my mother some time back um, if she she believes that women today are happier in general than what they were, say, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 years ago. And she went quiet for, for some time, had to think about this. And the answer was a very, it wasn't a binary answer. And, and I'm just wondering if, the same question can be asked about men. Are men happier today than what they were, say, 60, 70, 80 years ago? No. Both sexes are unhappy. Both sexes are less content. Both sexes are more anxious. It's not my opinion. I actually wrote about it in my book that I published in November this past year, United States of Fear. I quoted a, a large national, you, you know, United States national Pew Research study, but also pulled from studies across all of Northern and Western Europe. All of them showed the same thing to varying degrees. Among Western women, Western men, particularly the well-educated, it, it, it correlates with education. 
particularly among the well-educated, the incidence of depressive and anxious disorders in women has gone up several hundredfold, I mean, hundred percent fold is what I mean, compared to say 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, women are far more likely now than they were 10 years ago to receive prescriptions for antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications. It's like 70 or 80%, they're all going to women. Um, men are uh, more likely to commit suicide than they were 10 or 20 years ago. Suicide rates have gone up, uh, substance abuse overdoses have gone up, uh, despair, depression have gone up. Um, by eliminating roles and distinctions, we have increased despair and worry, which is leading to mental illness, health, differing health outcomes, suicide and death. How did that come about though? I mean, what, what led to this? Well, I think it's been brewing for a long time. Um, I think that uh, the idea of a nation that is largely focused on dependency on a state as opposed to relationships with one another, your friends, family, church, basically local community, and fealty towards a federalized national source of power has largely deprived both sexes of their traditional roles and their needs for one another. If a woman can receive welfare, subsidized housing, health insurance, and free education from California Governor Gavin Newsom and from President Joe Biden, and of course those who preceded them, why would she need to get married? Why would she need to develop herself as a mother? She doesn't even have to feed her kids anymore. Breakfast is, is served at school now. You don't even mm -hmm. have to put out a bowl of Cheerios for your child. And if, and if anyone says otherwise that you should feed your child, you, you're, you're told that you're being mean to, to working mothers. So women have largely been divorced from their ties to their community through dependency on government. And for men, it's been the same thing. With the growing state, meaning the, the political state, men have had less reason to actually build and sustain a family because they can just, like I said, go rogue, go off on their own. As long as they are uh, you know, earning some form of money to pay for whatever their apartment is and their alcohol and their tobacco, they don't really need to do anything else. Mm. And so they list, they have uh, no sense of purpose. They're like a boat that's sort of you know, going back and forth in the water without any rudder. I think this has been going on a very long time. And if you combine that together with some of the political and social ideology, the propaganda, primarily from the feminists, the anti-male, anti-female movement, as I call it, and then yeah. you, you add in, in addition to that, some of the more recent problems, like the whole transgender activism issue, which attacks sexuality at its core, and the definition of what sexual identity is, now you see this whole layering effect that started decades ago, and it just keeps getting taller and taller, more and more powerful, to destroy the very foundations of of, of what humanity is, which is ultimately family. I mean, that, that really is the building block of society. Without a family, you, you wind up with a place like communist China. The first thing that a dictator does, the first thing that a, a autocrat does is attacks the bonds between the parent and the child, destroys the family. And once that's destroyed, now you can go after the sexes and you can destroy the male-female bond, other than just the biological procreation one. And now all of a sudden, you've got a whole generation of people that will follow you because they're not following their teachers or their parents. I think that's, that's in multi-faceted multi ways, politically, culturally, ideologically, that's how we've gotten to the place we are. So it's not, there isn't one solution. But I do think in general, I think that the approach should be, as I've said, for people trying to fight this whole um, psychological illness of the pandemic of fear from the last two years, the ultimate large macro strategy, I believe, is to start working on the self and the immediate community first, to build from the bottom up to the top. Rather than trying to topple your national or federal government, start to fix your local community. Start to go after the school boards, the local mayoral offices, uh, the, 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 the state, uh, meaning like the province as opposed to the federal system. And if you can restructure that into a more healthy, sane way where relationships are are invested, so mothers are on school boards, for example, rather than transgender activists who don't have children. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Retake that responsibility. In other words, take accountability for your local life, because that's what you can be accountable for. Things start to fall into place. People start playing with one another. Children start to get together. Families start to congregate. You know, Boys and girls clubs restart. Churches start to flourish. You start to see better political action that's in, invested in the people, not in some crazy 
um, usually left-wing destructive ideology, which is ultimately nihilistic. And that's how I think we can fix this. I know this is a very like big, big picture because you mm -hmm. have to adopt specific strategies, but I think that's how we do it. I, I don't think we can get it done through international movements and campaigns and trying to change the presidential election. None of that's going to help. We have to do it at home. What you're saying is that it's a ground up strategy. Absolutely. 100%. That's what I believe now after reflecting on this for two years. We tried mm. top down in the US. It didn't work. It failed miserably. It has to be ground up because that's actually how the left has succeeded in lots of ways of destroying our civilization. They have worked from the ground up. They've taken over these ground up basic uh, units of our society like you know school textbooks and school boards and um, uh, what pins to wear at the local store to address your allegiance to the latest cause of the day. And that's what people see. That's how people's minds get changed. And then it becomes national later. They didn't start at the top. They start at the bottom. Mm. Um, we were talking about kids a moment ago, but it got me thinking, if you leave kids in their natural environment, do boys and girls respectively... <clears throat> Excuse me, do boys and girls respectively tend towards masculinity and femininity? Almost always. There are a few exceptions. It's true that some gay children, and there is a very small percentage, it's, it's always been historically the same. It's like one, I forgot, it's either 1.4 or 0.4%, very low percentage of the population is genetically predispositioned to be um, uh, uncomfortable with their own expression of their biological sex, their masculinity, their femininity. I'm not talking about sexuality. I'm talking about expression of natural sex, biological sex. That's been unchanged for a very long time mm. until the recent cultural contagion started. If you talk to women, I think of an example just now. When I was growing up, one of my neighbors ran a, a preschool and she was a dyed-in-the-wool hippie. You know, she was a big uh, you know, Democrat supporter from the 70s, the peace movement. Uh, she had a, a sticker that said boycott Nestle on her kid's big wheel because Nestle was giving powdered formula to Africans and they were putting dirty water in and then the, kid, the, the kids were getting sick from the Nestle products. I mean, she, she was like not a leftist, but she was hardcore traditional liberal, like hippie liberal. And she tried as hard as she could in that preschool to give the trucks to the girls and the dolls to the boys. She wanted to make sure that everybody could choose whatever they wanted. Girls can be boys, boys can be, this is way before the transgender movement. She just wanted to free the, the bonds, the chains of traditional sexual identities, uh, not identities in terms of their body, but in terms of roles, you know, what, what occupation, you know, girls can be doctors too, right? Girls can be firemen or firewomen or whatever they want to call them. Well, she admitted after a few years when I was a little older that her experiment failed completely. Sure. What she discovered was that no matter how many times she threw the dolls at the boys and the fire trucks at the girls, the girls wound up just switching right back to the original toys. And then the boys, they would take the dolls like the Barbies, and rather than play house with them, they would rip the Barbies' heads off and they would beat each other with them. <laughs> so they would just turn the Barbie dolls into weapons. And then the girls, you know, they would take the big, the big uh, Tonka <laughs> truck, and rather than fill it with rocks, they would fill it with cookies and they would have a bake sale. So you can't change that. Yeah. This is why I said earlier, power or strength is a better word. Strength mm. is not a male quality and is not or, an anti-feminine quality. Sorry, or Cleopatra. Yes. Well, you can be strong in a lot of different mm. ways. Now, physical strength, obviously, women will never win. Now, you can mm. call yourself a woman, Leah Thomas, so-called Leah Thomas, who's winning all of the uh, women's uh, swim, com swim competitions in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's got a he's got a dick and balls all right and and women have been pointing that out you know and this this <laughs> happened at, at a local uh place called we spa which is a korean-owned spa in los angeles when a guy walked through the women's room with all of his junk hanging out and a black woman thank god you know she she said it like it was she came out to the front desk she said there's a man with the girls <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's like Korean owner. He's like, no, ma'am, there is. He's like, he's very, you know, metrosexual. No, ma'am, that's actually a transgender. And he's gone. She's like, he got a dick. He got a dick. And she kept saying that again and again and again. And I'm like, you go, girl. He got a dick. Like that was the that was the, the message of the day. If you got a dick, you be a man. I don't care if you wear a skirt. It's not where it's not what you wear. It's what's underneath the skirt that counts.
But also, so, you can't you can't chop it off and then say that you're a woman. No, because you're still genetically a man anyway. You still have the same mm. chromosomes. You still have the same bone structure, the same um, mm. uh, hormones, unless you've gotten rid of those. And even then, you still have the the results of all the hormones, and you have the voice, you have the, the beard. I mean, you can't become something other than what you are biologically. It's not possible. But the idea of being strong can be expressed in many different ways. It's not just muscles. It's not just fighting with your body ability. Very strong women have risen to in incredible positions of power. You mentioned Margaret Thatcher. You mentioned Cleopatra. Mm. That's why this idea of um, being beta, we never talk about it with women. But mm. a lot of women, they choose to be weak because they don't <laughs> see the strength in their own femininity. Why then is the joke, the running joke, that women love gay friends, gay guy friends? Because they're safe. Because the women don't have to deal with unwanted sexual attraction. And that is one of oh, the responsibilities that women have to carry with them. You know what? If you're a hot mm -hmm. girl, you're going to have to figure out how to politely and socially respectfully decline polite but unwanted advances from men. That is the burden that you bear as an attractive woman. And when you're in your 50s and 60s and men are no longer looking at you, you're going to wish you had it again. You're going to feel so alone and abandoned if you've mm. been not recognizing the importance of that all of your life. So often women who don't know how to handle that or don't want to, don't know how to say, oh, I really appreciate the gesture. Thank you for telling me I'm attractive and beautiful. It's, it, it means a lot to me, but I'm sorry. I, I'm just not available right now. I'm with someone or I'm, I'm not mm. interested, but thank you for the offer. That's the way to make an appropriate decline and to continue to encourage men to try. You want men to try, but if you're, but if you're, if you're around gay men, the men will give you the attention that you want. They'll tell you you're beautiful. They'll tell you you're sexy. And they'll never, ever, ever ask you out. But is that not then a downfall of masculinity? On what side? Well, On let's the side talk of the heterosexual men? Yes. I'm talking about that. Yes. Then they well, lose out. The... They lose out with oh, that companionship, oh, so I to speak. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, absolutely. You know, women who do not engage in the heterosexual dance, and I'm talking about obviously non-lesbian women, I'm talking about, about straight women. If they don't want to engage in the dance with heterosexual men because they don't want to do the work, then all of those men that could become wonderfully engaged partners are not going to be able to do that with those women. And those mm -hmm. women are not going to have partners either that are going to give them the fullness of a heterosexual relationship. They'll get the sugar, they'll get the, the accolades, they'll get the ego stroking, but they're not going to get the love, the true love, and the, and the containment, and the holding, and the uh, sexual desire of a heterosexual man. And a heterosexual woman wants nothing other than to be desired by a heterosexual man. The homosexual desiring of the woman is, a, is, is saccharine. It's a splenda form of sugar. It's not real. It comes with safety. It's like having splenda. You don't gain weight, but you don't really get the real sugar either. But a lot of women will make that bargain with the devil. They'll, they'll make this deal that they'll just tolerate the saccharine sweetness, the artificial sweetness, because they don't want to actually have to deal with working off the calories. Well, let's talk about some of the pros and cons then of, of masculinity. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's a desirable trait, and it, and it seems to be part of human history. But what are some of the disadvantages of masculinity? It leads to war. Well, I would say that the question needs to be rephrased as it's not that there's anything inherently bad about masculinity or bad about femininity. It's actually when it's mm. expressed in extremists. Right. I understand. So that's, I think that's the way to, to phrase the question. I think that's important distinction because if you accept that there's something wrong with masculinity at its, on its face, now you leave yourself open to apologizing for being a man. And that's what a lot of men are doing now. Oh, I'm so sorry that I expressed interest in you. And, it, it, and you didn't want it. That's my fault. No, it's not. Oh, I'm sorry I didn't ask you when I reached for a kiss and you didn't want the kiss. No, you don't apologize for that. Mm. You go for it and then you respect boundaries and you accept feedback. That's what masculinity is. Now, what if it's extreme? Well, okay, now mm. you're going into the, 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 the direction of non-consent. So now you force yourself on a woman, you rape her, you violate the sanctity of her body without her consent now you've taken your masculinity off to an extreme edge 
which is aggression without proper respect and without proper feedback and without proper um, boundary respecting. That's on a one-on-one -on -one level. Obviously, in a larger level, you can see violence in the streets. You can see uh, riots. You see, obviously, in some cases, wars. Although I don't think wars are inherently immoral. Um, if you don't defend yourself against aggression, that's martyrdom, and I don't think that that's moral. Um, but yes, ultimately, taking masculinity to an extreme when there's a lack of consent and when there's an ex a violation of boundaries for, the, for anyone, that can actually lead to, um, to uh, damage. Are those... Are those boundaries, are those principles that you're referring to, are those universal and timeless? Well, they should be, but they aren't. I mean, the timeless way of living was tribal, where mm. the only boundaries were uh, the circular connection and security of the tribe. As long as you uh, acted on behalf of the tribe, then that was all that was moral. That was all that was required. If you didn't, that was immoral. You were killed. And as far as morality relating to anybody outside the tribe, there was no morality. Someone outside of your tribe has a woman, you take her. Someone outside of your tribe has things of value, you take them. So theft, murder, rape, none of those Ten Commandments style morality applied until only very recently in most societies. And there's exceptions, obviously. You had the Greeks, you had uh, Ottoman Empire. But uh, largely speaking, tribal societies up until you know a few hundred years ago, uh, they didn't have any morality outside of just honoring the the tribal circle. It's really actually an anomaly. Victor Davis Hansen has talked about this in a lot of his speeches recently. I saw him talk in California just a month ago in Laguna Beach. We are an anomaly that we have gone beyond tribalism and we have said it's not the tribe that determines the value system. We have a shared universal value system mm -hmm. for one another, regardless of what we look like, whether we share the same skin color, the same geographical uh, place of birth, uh, whether we wear the same bear skin, whether we have the same mm. facial paintings or tattoos or piercings, which is the new form of tribalism, a lot of ways in expressing yourself. No, we have shared values and those values force us to behave in a certain way because we expect that in return. That is not inherent. That is not instinctual. That is learned. And that is learned and taught generation by generation by generation through parents, through civics, through educational systems. And once that link is broken and it's breaking right now, you revert back to tribalism. And that's why we're going backwards. That's why we're going into a state of, I will treat you differently if you're gay like me, black like me, have piercings like me, vote like me. These characteristics that really don't have a lot to do with ourselves intrinsically, we've created them to form these new tribes and to bifurcate our societies into subgroups. And that is, that is gonna be our downfall. I know it's probably wrong to say this, but I I don't I don't entirely take issue with uh boys at school having punch-ups. Um I I know I shouldn't say that, but when I was at school and I was involved in those things and my dad was and my grandfather was and so on and so forth and it seems to be part of our history. And I'm not saying you should encourage school fights, but it does seem to be part of the growing process. I think you're largely largely correct. Encouraging violence obviously is not something that's helpful, but for boys to be able to use their physical um, bodies to resolve conflicts to a certain degree, yeah. I think is actually healthy. When you take that away entirely, then you reduce the boy to a non-physical being. And I think you negate the physicality of the man. And then he grows up to be a man who doesn't know how to use his body effectively. Obviously it needs to be calibrated and regulated, uh, sadism has to be um, uh, uh, proscribed. Uh, you have to uh, try to discourage, obviously, bullying. Mm. Um, but, you know, bullying thrives not on fights between boys. It thrives on weakness on the part of the other. Bullies actually are yeah. not fighting with strong boys. They're fighting with weak, feminized boys who don't know how to use their bodies. So I think that, that bullying counter-argument is, is really irrelevant. Uh, I think the main thing to say is we shouldn't be encouraging violence, but we sh certainly should be allowing things to be regulated through I physical think, conflict. I think uh, uh, what I'm what I'm trying to say is, the the kid comes home and you go, no, that 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 wasn't good. I'm I'm very upset about the story about this fight, but did you win? <laughs> 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 
because <laughs> at the end of the day you don't want him to lose <laughs> and uh, and that's that's probably more testosterone than what it is masculinity i'm sure i think that's true i, I think testosterone is what leads to the physical altercations and the aggressions i mean girls are are, are actually much crueler and nastier than boys yeah. are they just don't use their bodies they use emotional knives and uh uh, ostracization and, and stigmatization of their enemies, which is actually far crueler than just punching a guy in the nose. Um, you know, yeah, so just on that, um, <clears throat> masculinity can't exist without femininity, I'm guessing. They, they, they work together. So, that is correct. So we can't have a conversation about masculinity without actually having a conversation eventually about femininity. That's right. I think that's an excellent point. Um, the existence of one requires the existence of the other. And just like that number line I mentioned, if, you're, if your allowance for masculinity only goes to plus two or plus three on the number line, you will only be able to have negative two or negative three of femininity in your society. If you can allow plus 10 for men, you're going to allow negative 10 for women. And that's why you see these more, I would call them conservative or traditional Western mm. cultures, have incredibly dynamic expressions of masculinity and femininity. I mean, the, the, the level of beauty and, and um, management of, of physical seduction on the part of some of these women that you see in these you know, non-left-leaning societies, and then the, the kind of gruff in your face, but, but jovial, confident, manly men that you see um, on the opposite side is so obvious. You can just see it visually when you travel, and you don't see that much now in large urban cities in Western Europe, United States, Australia, New Zealand. Mm -hmm. You all see people that are like shades of zero, you know, negative 0.5, plus 0.5 on that scale. There's no bipolarity. And you can feel a sense of, of sterility, a lack of dynamism, and anxiety a kind of reticence of men to take charge and, and a reticence of women to be playful and curious and fun. It's, it's, it's really palpable. It's, it's something you can only really take, take note of when you're there physically and you can sort of sense it. You can sort of feel this energy around you. And that's why I think that people who live in urban environments in the U.S. and Western Europe who don't travel to other places that are different, they don't get it. You certainly don't see it on television anymore. I mean, all the TV shows are all, you know, feminized men and masculinized women movies is the same way i mean latest james bond movie is a good example of that uh, you can only see it now if you watch old movies old tv shows or you travel to environments that still um embody those sorts of uh male female um social models so what you, so what you're basically saying is um <clears throat> uh, all hail toxic masculinity absolutely we need to bring back the toxic masculinity now everybody's going to quote me and say, oh, he's a virgin rape. <laughs> no, I'm actually denigrating the term in and of itself because I think it's, um, it's, it's sort of like the left always does this. They steal words and then they rebrand them to mean something that, that was different than before. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have um, justice anymore. We have social justice. We don't have equality anymore. We have equity. Well, what does it really mean? Well, equity just means stealing. Yeah. And social justice just means revenge. And justice and revenge and equality and stealing have nothing to do with one another. And yet now they're all merged together. So now we have toxic masculinity, which basically just means male hating. But that has nothing to do with masculinity. Masculinity is wonderful. It's essential, as is femininity. And we need to support and encourage both of those, both the masculine and the feminine, in boys and in girls. And this is not, it should not be a political issue. It should not be a partisan issue. This is a basic positive social construct that we need to express because it comes fundamentally it, it's it's risen from the spring of biology and, and and basic humanity and the only people who oppose this are either naive or they are mm. truly trying to destroy uh society there there is there is no other explanation for it and i don't care you know what sex you are what you where you how you you orient yourself sexually who you vote for um if you don't support the expression of masculinity and femininity in its healthy forms, then um, you really are doing a disservice to your country and to your society. I don't know if I agree with you. I don't think any real men voted for Joe Biden. <laughs>
you could be right about that. I think the only men that voted for Joe Biden <laughs> that were real men probably lied about it and wound up voting for Donald Trump and then told their wives they voted for Joe Biden because they just didn't have the patience, the tolerance, the resilience, or or just the uh, the social will uh, to put up with the, uh, the 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 launched attacks and sustained. Uh, assaults that they were going to have to deal with for the next four years. But we've got ourselves to blame, Mark. We, men. Absolutely. Um, I am not attacking women in any way in mm. this uh, tirade that I've just launched. Um, I am attacking men just as much as I am women. Women are absolutely to blame. So is feminism, the mm. movement. But men largely allowed this to happen to them. They self-emasculated. You know, they cut their own balls off. Mm. They, they self-eunuched themselves. This is not... Um, do just to women. Um, and that's why I think it's actually hopeful because we don't need to attack women to fix this problem. We need to, we need to attack the feminist movement, which is, which is destructive and has done more to destroy our, our country and the male-female aspects than anything else in the United States, single-handedly. Uh, what we need to do as men is we need to reclaim our masculinity. We need to stand up to the harpies and the feminists. And we also need to start to set boundaries and containment to healthy, normal women who are crying out for help, just like children. And now women are gonna say, you're calling me a child. Just like children who test boundaries and limits with their parents. I want that, I want that, I want that. And if the parent gives in, it just leads the child to feel more insecure. I triumph, but now I don't have a parent. But when the parent pushes back and says, no, you're not, and here's why, and I don't wanna hear another word out of you, the child will say, oh, okay, there are limits. I feel safe again. And men need to start to stand up to that they need to start to stand up to the unreasonableness, the irrationality, the, the hyper-emotional expressiveness of certain women at certain times and start to express their masculinity. The women might push back initially, but they will relax into that sense of safety and know that you are strong. And even more importantly, if a real crisis occurred, not a manufactured emotional crisis, but a physical crisis of safety, you are more likely going to stand up than give in. Well, let's do an acid test quickly. Sorry, I've got you over time. Do you have a few minutes? Um, have to go in pretty pretty soon. I have a patient waiting. Oh, all right. Okay. Uh, okay. We'll skip that question. I was gonna ask. <laughs> I was gonna ask about the Titanic and the, the men that went down. Uh, oh, that... that's an interesting point. I'll defer that one. I'd have to think about that one because that's a that's a, actually a fairly complex question. Yeah. Well, you can come back on in a in a few weeks time. Okay. <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can chat Part more three, about the it. Titanic revisited. Okay. Okay. Give me some quickly before you go. Give me some yeah. some some tools for pushing back. So I think the first thing is you need to surround yourself with other men who actually understand and express masculinity because you need to have a tribe. And I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean, you need to have male role models and support so that you're not alone, so that you're not taking your cues from the feminist movement and from, from off, I mean, you know, unhinged women. And if you can't find those men, then you need to find a community online. You need to start taking coaching classes. And there are people who offer these about masculinity or start reading books. You know, David Data's book, uh, the, uh, I forget the title of it now, it's, it's been out for like 20 or 30 years, about, uh, about the masculine and the, and the role of the man, uh, are excellent primers for men to start to get their bearings and start to understand uh, and, and deprogram themselves really about, I call it sort of brainwashing and propaganda. That's very important. And then secondly, you need to start taking risks. Men need to start taking risks of tolerating criticism, tolerating snide comments, rejection from some women who are still brainwashed into thinking that they have to attack men all the time. And the reason for this is that even though you'll be attacked and derided by some, there are still a lot of women who are begging to be treated like a real woman and begging for real men. And I know it because I see them in my practice every day. And they want assertive men. They want strong men. They want confident men. They want men that will stand up to them when they lose their shit and control them with balance and safety. I don't mean slapping them around. I mean holding them in place emotionally and physically. Women really desire this, they really want this. And you will suddenly blossom and flourish and you'll have wonderful relationships with men and with women. You do not have to continue down this path of subverting your masculinity or expressing this beta male sort of quality because you think that's gonna get a lot of oohs and ahs from the crowd. That, that's, that would be my initial advice to men. And from women, I would tell women, please, Shut down all of the nonsense from your girlfriends, from the media, from the feminist movement. Look into your heart and ask yourself, what do you really need? Not what you're told. What do you actually need? What's missing from you? What's missing from your life? 
I bet it's the presence of a strong man that you can trust and rely on. Mm. And you'll say, well, I can't find that. Well, I, I get that. That's part of the chicken and the egg problem. But certainly you can do your part by not responding like a harpy when a man says, you look amazing, I want to ask you out. You should stop immediately reflexively responding by denigrating and laughing and mocking at men who are taking these risks. And it's a big risk in society now to come out as a man. Don't join the crowd and join the herd. Stand up for those men, defend them, encourage their masculinity. That's the way a woman fights for a, for, a, for a man. And that's why men should start fighting for women and how they'll come together. That would be my, my advice to, on how to start moving down a healthier path. And again, taking it from the ground up level, because I think it starts with, with the home. Well, I mean, on that note, I'm going to go and drink some petrol and shave with the kitchen steak knife. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, do, some, maybe do some pull-ups off the, off the roof of the house. Now, that's what a real man does. <laughs> <laughs> Mark McDonald, as always, it's an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank you, that was fun. My name is Jim, this is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.